Hello and welcome to another episode of Hot Takes, the story screen presents podcast where we see new movies or in some cases new-ish movies and then we talk about them with you guys and with each other on the microphone. My name is Robbie Anderson, I'm joined by Bernadette Gorman-White and we're here to talk about Vivarium, a movie about spooky suburbia. Yes. Ern, what's, uh, what's your hot take on Vivarium? I don't know. Usually on a hot take, I go in with like a pretty un- pretty good understanding of what I think about the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I really like this movie. I think it was really weird. It's certainly weird. Yeah, and I don't know if it successfully said the things that it thinks it was trying to say. I don't yeah. know. I'm excited to talk about it and kind of flesh it out with you. I, sure. I... I- my hot take on it is I left it being like, I actually really enjoyed that movie. Um, I think it's, it has, it's it's like a movie that's like very solid, in my opinion. Like, I think it has the right amount of amb- ambiguity, the right amount of mystery without like trying to solve itself too hard. Uh, I thought the performances were fun. Um, Imogen Poots, mm-hmm. is, she's, she's like the best part of that movie. And I also thought... Um, What's his fucking name? Uh, Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg. Eisenberg. I thought he was. I thought he was also good. Um, yeah, I, I was. I was into it. I was surprised how much I liked it because I kind of heard middling things about the movie. Um, but yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was cool. What are um, some of your like spoiler free, like if you can be spoiler free impression wise and and maybe elaborate on what you're feeling? Do you have any anything to speak on that? Um. I I definitely liked how it looked, and I agree with you. I think the acting was really strong. Um, I've never watched a movie and thought like, oh, Jesse Eisenberg is actually very charming. And in the beginning of this movie, he's very charming. He's also like doing a different like kind of subgenre of character than I've like, I think I've ever seen him be. Yeah, Um, definitely. Maybe without spoiling the movie, but. Yeah. Um. But I will say that there's a section towards the end that I wish it would have leaned into harder. And so maybe my questioning of the film is because I was left wanting. And I didn't feel like there was a resolution there for me, personally. I, I would say that that is my strongest criticism against the movie is exactly that. Where there is a segment at the end where I'm just like, if you guys did this, like half an hour ago this could have been like top tier shit going on mm-hmm. uh because yeah i totally i that is a critique i completely agree with um and i don't think it's something that would have like i think there are some things that it, it shows a lot of restraint during that i think really work in the film but i think that like not having more scenes like that does not do the film any favors because it's just i'm like yo you guys had that like in the chamber the whole time <laughs> yeah it was cool. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think that the general themes of the movie with the repetition and how mundane everything is and how their lives are in yeah. this place called Yonder, um, really interesting. And I think the people who made this film are educated, but for whatever reason, I didn't feel like the film as a whole was as well baked as maybe what I would have wanted it to be. Yeah. But I think what it's doing is good. But if you're making a movie about how boring and how uh, 
just like flavorless life can be. That's what I feel like coming out of that movie. I was like, well, yeah, parts of it were kind of boring. Like it kind of went on a little too long. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'll change my mind on that once we're talking sure. it out. Yeah, I I certainly don't want to spoil anything, but I did have a lot of like, I, there is like a moment I had watching the movie that kind of like gave me a different perspective on it that I think made me like it a lot more. Um, and I really, I, I, again, I like, I really don't want to spoil it, but to kind of go into like non-specifics, I feel like this movie, you know, the, it's genre heading is mystery, sci-fi, horror, but to me, it's, it's actually more of like an absurdist film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and that's kind of like, once I figured that out, or once I started looking at it through that lens, I actually started to enjoy the movie a lot more, um, seeing it like, you know, to me, it almost feels in line with like a, a Yorgos Lanthimos film in the way that it like handles, you know, societal norms and paradigms, but, but like treats them in absurd ways. And then you have these like two main characters kind of being the straight men of the, of the scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, so the situation or like the setting kind of is like playing off of them reacting to it. And, and I, I enjoyed that and I can go into more specifics when we get into spoilers. So hopefully everyone sticks around for me to, explain why i feel that way yeah but, uh, yeah but i thought those things about the film were really cool um i also thought like the i think it's like a mystery first movie like you're much more like engaged with trying to be like what the fuck's going on here and i think it does a good job doing that because i do think the movie ultimately has a catharsis despite being kind of a bummer yeah like a like a omega bummer um yeah, and I also agree with your with your point about uh, how the movie looks. I was very it, it does like um that like clean horror style that you see some movies do. Yeah, it was very fun and kind of like harkened back to like the bright but muted colors of like the fifties. Yeah, which for sure. just like scream suburbia. So mm-hmm. very well done on that. Yeah, front. it's kind of it's kind of like uh, Pleasantville in that way, or um, and like every time I think about clean like clean aesthetic horror movies i always think about american psycho because i think that movie does the best job of like looking very pristine while also being very terrifying mm-hmm. it also really made me think of the truman show as well that's a good one too yeah, yeah. that's also a good call yeah i um it was interesting i think that's another thing i liked about it is that it it, it evoked this sense of like those movies we mentioned but it doesn't have some of the doesn't really have any of those like genre trappings that we see where it's like um or if it does it's kind of like flexed on in, in different ways like you don't see like the nuclear family revert into like 50s social norms or paradigms like they do kind of but it's not in the ways that i think you would expect in a movie like this you know Mm-hmm. yeah definitely yeah but uh yeah i think overall Overall, I enjoyed it. I thought it was... I, I think I, I wish it was just a little bit spookier, but, you know, if it did kind of more of that stuff that we both liked at the end a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. that would have been cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, I really like these actors. Um, yeah. I think they're very, very good. But it does hinge a lot on your ability to enjoy this very, very small cast for this type of movie. That's true. You have to see pretty much two to eventually three people do stuff, <laughs> right? And be into it. But you, uh, you like these two because they're most recently in a movie that you really, really liked from last year. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots were in The Art of Self-Defense. Mm-hmm. Another dystopian type of weird world bending with the rules type yeah. of like thriller, horror, mystery. Yeah. Also, it's kind of interesting. They're cool like bookends of Jesse Eisenberg's like studies of like what it means to be a man. And then this movie is like, what does it mean to be a woman? Mm-hmm. So they are kind of almost like companion pieces in like a weird way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I also think that this movie has a lot to say about like, um, I think I think it's much more focused on like the the woman's role in like the nuclear household. But I do think it, it's fairly critical or at least um, aware of like the man's role in the house as well. You know, we kind of see a, a condensed version of what a lifetime could look like in the film. And mm-hmm. you kind of see what happens uh, statistically to both parties <laughs> eventually. Um, yes. Without going into too much, but yeah, you know, I think I think the movie's very it's it's very critical of the nuclear family, and it, I think it almost sees like the nuclear family paradigm as like a as like a death cult in a lot of ways, which mm-hmm. I thought was very interesting, and I really liked that aspect of it. And I feel like you know, there's a lot of like interesting things I gleaned from the movie, and I'm. I, and I'm just, like, very happy that, like, I got to dig it up and the movie didn't, like, kind of hand it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's, like, that's a, you know, it's a hard line to walk. Cause I, I do think there are times where even my, I can only speak for myself, but even I've been critical of movies where I was like, oh, I wish I had a little bit more of this. Or I wish they gave me, I think when we did Swallow, I was like, I wish I knew how these characters met. But in this movie, like, I felt very satisfied with, like, the answers that I got that I don't really have too many more I don't really have any questions walking away from the movie, which, which is a good, which works works for me. It makes me happy about it, you know? Yeah, that's an interesting point, because even with the film taking place, I believe, or assume, in England, Mm -hmm. because when you first meet this couple and these children, you don't really pay attention to the children that have the British accents uh, at the beginning of the film. And then you just realize, oh, well, the steering wheel is on the opposite side of the car. Right. But you don't really wonder or need to know why this American, Jesse Eisenberg, is over in England. Like, none of that is really important. They do a very good job of setting it up. Like, this is the world. Here we are. I also thought that that was going to be, like, a bigger part of the story because it seemed so, like, deliberate. Mm -hmm. But um, I think we do, like, you know, later in the movie, there's, like, a moment of dialogue where they give you enough of, like, how the relationship started. And you're just like, oh, it's not super relevant. Mm -mm. But But they answer that for you. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's like that's cool you know i'm into that um yeah it's a it's a movie that's hard to it's always hard to do spoiler free impressions about film in general but i feel like this movie's tough because a lot of like the most interesting bits uh are definitely things that happen and are kind of like what the the movie is um i was talking to a friend of mine about the flick and he said he was a little more lukewarm on it he thought it was just fine um, which I, d- I definitely totally understand people feeling that way. But he said like a lot of what you see in the trailer is just kind of what you get by the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, but it's been a while since I've seen the trailer. So I don't know. But I don't know how fresh the trailer was in, in your mind when you were watching this. Not very. Um, yeah. I think in our hot takes thread, maybe like months ago, someone had dropped right. a trailer. And so I watched it then and I thought, oh, yeah, that looks interesting. Yeah. But other than that, yeah, I don't really seek out trailers very frequently anyway. 
Yeah. So I I like them. I've definitely been burned by them before, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, where you're just like, oh, you just showed me. Oh, that's just the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, I could see why your friend would say that about this film. I think it's a fair criticism. I think the only reason I liked it a little bit more is just because like I had like a light bulb moment during it, which you know may or may not be something that's actually baked into the film, but uh, it worked for me. Oh, know? interesting. Yeah, I think like I think seeing it through like that absurdist lens like definitely helped me understand it. And then like also like meditating on those ideas of like the nuclear family death cult and being like critical of those of of those things and also being a movie that's about isolation right now is uh it's interesting. Yeah, it's weird cuz I mean, we watched Swallow recently and then yeah. this and then I just recently watched the Cornetto trilogy and that's like Shaun of the Dead with like a zombie outbreak yeah and you end have of the end of the world right or at <laughs> yeah world's end. the yeah. world's end which is mm-hmm. also about like terrible things happening to society yeah. and it's all during this coronavirus pandemic well hot flows isn't isn't like that so not so much no yeah <laughs> that was a you nice know, like breath of fresh air yeah there you go it's just about like police violence <laughs> yeah something that we don't have to deal with anymore because everyone's inside Ugh. <laughs> cash yeah <laughs> Dark times. Dark yeah, times we live in. Absolutely. Um, Bernd, do you have any other spoiler-free things you want to say about the flick? I think I'm maybe enjoying it more just thinking about it and thinking mm-hmm. about what I have to say once we get into spoilers. Sure. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see you on the second half. Cool. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll be back with spoilies for Vivarium. Um, if you haven't seen Vivarium yet, and you're just listening to the spoiler-free part of the podcast, spoiler-free part of the podcast. That was hard to say. Uh, please check us out on StoryScreenBeacon.com, and also sign up for our subscription service, where we are doing uh, different type of exclusive content over there for five dollars a month. And you're going to support us and help us make some more cool content and put some food on our plates and keep the podcast lights on. And we really appreciate that. Um, as you heard, Bernadette's doing a Edgar Wright podcast with Mike. So that's definitely something you want to hear. Mm-hmm. I want to hear it. Uh, I am subscribed, uh, but I have the cheat code. So <laughs> so there you go. So yeah, so we'll be right back with um, spoilies. I'm going to tell you who dies. And uh, yeah, so see you soon. And we're back with spoilies for Vivarium, the movie about the spooky houses. Um, so yeah, where to begin? Uh, I guess I didn't know that this movie was like an alien movie. I'm still not sure if that is what it is. I mean, it kind of, it feels more alien than it does like, or like ancient civilization, perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, or invasive I, don't know. I I got alien mostly from like the book and what they're watching on the TV felt very like alien esque to me. Yeah, um, definitely. But you know the movie uh, sets up its allegory as well with like the scene of the birds at the beginning of the movie and they're pushing the the parent birds or the baby birds out of the nest, right? Or mm-hmm. there's some level of that happening. It's a it's um, a different type of bird that comes in and takes mm-hmm. over and kicks out the other birds. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of have have that happening here in this movie. Um, so yeah, Burn, do you have any uh, what's what's like a jumping off moment you want for the spoiler part of of hot takes? Um, well, I I do think that it's uh, pretty 
open face like test with what it's trying to do with this number nine on this house. So our main two leads, Gemma and Tom, go mm-hmm. into this housing development called Yonder and they're yeah. shown house number nine. And anytime that a number is used in a film, I hone in on it because I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's there for a reason. And what is the reason? And so when I was watching it, the reason that I didn't lean too far into the alien subplot or maybe like it's aliens mm-hmm. is that um, it was kind of like a representation of Dante's nine circles of hell. Yeah, I buy that. And so they do kind of go through the stages of all of the different circles um, pretty like easily. I mean, just to run through them really quickly. It's Yeah, please do. Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, anger, heresy, violence, fraud, and treachery. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they do go through all of those. And you see it. We'll get into like the very end of the film. You see that this is a cycle that's been continuing for a long time. Yeah, kind of building on top of itself in ways. Right. And we just don't know how long mm. this yonder town has existed. Right. But I, I think like that. I think my main question is why this couple or does it not matter? I think it, it seems to be that it's whoever walks into the trap. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't seem that there's too much like out of like the realm of that shop where they have the houses on display. It doesn't seem like they're doing too much to uh, to grab people and get them involved, you know, because it's not like they received a letter or an email or someone reaching out, you know. They just, uh, the movie kind of sets it up with um, uh, Imogen's character, whose name is Gemma, um, with uh, kind of like almost like, hey, the clock's ticking, you should get a house, right? You're not going to start your life <laughs> till till you get your house, I guess. Which um, is not something I ever really feel in my life, but I definitely could see maybe other people who are trying to start their lives in a certain way that, that you know, you're you're a homeowner. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you ever kind of felt that you and Heath would feel that clock ticking ever just kind of happen naturally. Yeah, I think it happened more naturally than anything. But I think also mm-hmm. what Mike is going through where he was realizing, oh, well, I'd like to live in one place for a while and I'd like that money yeah. to be going towards a mortgage other mm-hmm. than just paying rent. So I think that pushes people. But definitely, I've lived in so many different locations throughout my life. I didn't see like the house as like an end goal or like nothing will begin until I have my house. Yeah, Mm -hmm. certainly didn't feel that way. Yeah, but I guess like in the context of this movie, I I get it. Or, you know, she's certainly feeling that way. And we even have like moments where she's like, oh, yeah, we don't have a kid yet. Like she she wants to do these things but it seems like the house is in some ways the first steps for her definitely um, which is cool uh but yeah i'm not sure i think it's just whoever walks into that into that place yeah yeah um the name of the of the guy he's great by the way the dude who's running <laughs> the show, his mouth is so strange <laughs> he has the worst mouth but his name uh, his name tag says martin which is like i think a type of bird yes like purple martin is a type of bird so Mm-hmm. So that that allegory is still still happening there. Oh, definitely. Um. So kind of the so you you brought up the Dante's Inferno bit, which I I think is a totally like good read on the film. Uh, I also think you know when you think about nine, it's like three times three, three acts adds together. I think that's like one way to look at it as well. But that's like you know maybe more of like a meta screenwriter version. Yeah. Um. 
I like that but too. The, but the reason I had the um, absurdist kind of take on it is um, there's a book by Albert Camus, or I believe, yes, I'm yeah. right. Okay, I think it's a uh, Camus, maybe. But oh, is that how you pronounce it? Cool. So he writes a lot about absurdism, um, and his uh, literature on the philosophy of absurdism has been used in um, a lot of different like absurd structures from uh, theater, which is how I have my understanding about it. It's a, it's basically like you know a theory of of what makes something absurd, and absurdism as like a subgenre kind of came to its biggest fruition in fiction and um, uh, after World War II. But uh, there's the myth of Sisyphus about a man who's pushing the boulder, uh, trying, and it's kind of like an allegory for for seeking happiness. And you're always trying to push the boulder up a hill that never really ends, but you're seeking that happiness. So I thought it was. I, I read uh, Tom Jesse Eisenberg's character as digging the hole as like an inverted myth of Sisyphus allegory, and it's him just like digging this hole and we eventually learn he's kind of digging his old his own grave but it was that moment that to me uh signaled like maybe i should start watching the movie in through this lens you know maybe i should start looking at it as more of like absurdist fiction and, and see and see if that's a an interesting read on it and and the more i looked at it through that lens the more you know i i was thinking about like you know it's about the absurdity of having the nuclear family family the absurdity of social norms you, the absurdity of like what your life looks like when you commit to these social norms. And I think that's really at the, at the heart is what the film is kind of about. Yeah. I, I can definitely agree with you. Um, there were a lot of moments like the moment where Tom starts digging mm-hmm. that there are so many small parts that I think, Oh, is this movie going to be a commentary on earth and like mother sure. nature because he flicks his cigarette down and then it instantly burns like, what I thought was a very cool shot in the film when the grass kind of like dissolves. Evaporates. Almost, yeah. yeah. But it kind of almost looks like it's like animated. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. Yeah. Um, I And I thought, is this a living thing? Are we going to find out that they are like maybe on a giant alien? <laughs> like, sure. Is yeah. this ground actually living? And then I figured like, because obviously he's, uh, Tom is smoking and he's working and he's coughing, but he's continuing to work and smoke. Mm. Um, and I was wondering if it was a commentary on like how we treat our bodies as a temple, how we treat Mother Earth as a temple, because when they're digging, they're saying like, oh, it's just like a bunch of like random muck. Like they can't yeah. even tell what the Earth is mm-hmm. in this housing development. Yeah. And I think it's kind of what makes him sick, I'd imagine. You would think um, so. Yeah, that's that was my because I wasn't sure if like the older version of the son like kicked the shit out of him one day and we didn't see that in like the interim. Um, but then like you know he's he seems to be getting sicker and I'm like maybe it's because of like he's just breathing in what that stuff is down there. Um, yeah, and it's killing him. I don't know, or it's just you know it seems that the the patriarch of the family in these in this secular world just they have to die before the mom does at some point. That's what happened to the previous family. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think you're right. Um, and yeah, it was also, I think, maybe just um, him separating himself from like the one real living thing that was mm. in that simulation with him. Yeah. Um, just not spending time with Gemma anymore. It was like cutting off his circulation, essentially. I, I buy that, too. I also think, you know, there could be something to read into it of like... Um, 
again the the if 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 I'm going by the like the absurdity of the social norms or the absurdity of the nuclear family, like him being in this like far father role and he's like he doesn't work, but he's like going off to do work every day, which is like digging this hole. Like that's like his job right now is to like dig this hole and it mm-hmm. like eventually like bleeds him dry. And I think there there might be something to look into of like when you have like the quote unquote traditional family structure and you have the stay at home mom and the dad who goes off and works it basically runs himself into the earth and eventually his own work kind of kills him, you know, until there's like nothing left. And like, you know, I think it also plays into some other tropes where he's like angry at home and resentful. And, you know, if you've ever been in like that family structure, it's, it seems a little familiar. Um, my dad was a pretty good, he is a good guy, but he definitely like worked a lot all the time and would come home and be fucking pissed off a lot. (laughs) And, uh, so that that's some of the things that I I gleaned from like that part of the story. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's what made me separate myself from the film um, more than like before you even get to halfway through, is I started yeah. to find Tom very unlikable, which yeah. to me seemed to work to the film's detriment. Um, okay. Just because when I was watching them at first, they seemed like a very happy couple. And mm. they might not see eye to eye on the house per se, but they seemed like they had good chemistry and that they had a good foundation. Yeah. But pretty quickly into the yonder scenario, like they fall apart pretty quickly. By the third month, they're like not together. They're really like yeah. not good friends, which was just disappointing, I guess. It was sad. I yeah. mean, I think I think when you're in that scenario even though when it's like good that you have each other, I think that like it breaks people to not have like to be in isolation like that. Like even in our world where we're dealing with, uh, you know, self-isolation and things like that and quarantine, you know, the, the dis- domestic dispute cases are, are like rampant right now. Like they're super on the rise. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like another ailment that unfortunately is coming with, with isolation you know, at the moment. And I feel like that's kind of, you know, I think there's a moment in the film where he just seems like defeated. And I was watching with Kirsten and she's like, why is he being like a fucking dick? And I'm just like, (laughs) yeah, he's being a dick. But I'm like, I think he's just like, he's so done with like the scenario, which is not trying to make excuses for toxic behavior. But I just think that's like what the film is, is like getting at, you know? Yeah. I think too, with him being American, him being Mm -hmm. like already outside of his home to begin with. Sure. And then he said, you know, Gemma made him feel like he was at home. But mm. then to be put in this other scenario where it's like the exact opposite of home, I'm sure it got yeah. to him. Yeah, no, so. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. In, so those are like the most like interesting aspects of the film to me. I definitely could see the um, Dante's Inferno bit as well. I feel like there's like some, some middling of ideas that we're having about the, what's going on under the surface of the film. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, too, like, it's more of a stretch with some of the levels um, than others. But Mm. I do think it rings pretty true that a lot of them are met, because obviously Limbo. And then you do have a sex scene uh, fairly early in the film. But then it's neat to see Gemma kind of go into the underground and see other versions of the simulation. And there's always sex involved. Like, right. something is there. Um, the gluttony, though, that one's a little bit rougher. Well, 
but I think he, you know, he like screeches when he doesn't get his food. Yes. So that's how like I which is like fucking a nightmare. That the, those scenes are horrendous. Whew. I cannot stand them. But uh yeah, I mean that's when you said gluttony, that was one of the the easier ones for me to kind of put together. Yeah, with uh, the kid. I think, yeah, I think violence is is one that's pretty obvious as well. There's like a there's like a moment where where that happens. Oof, yeah. That's mm. a hard part to watch. Yeah. What do you make of like uh the kid being so like absorbent of like what he looks at? Like he's 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 kind of like a, a voyeur in a lot of ways, but he also like replicates almost like down to the inflections of people. Like he's almost like a like a like a camera in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what do you make of like that aspect of of the boy's character? I think a, a character we haven't really talked much about in, in this part of the of the impressions of the film. Yeah, I I found it a very sad commentary, and I think something that is pretty important is that all mm-hmm. children are sponges, and yet mm-hmm. how you kind of become a human is repetition of behavior that you see. And it's a shame that it seems like in all of these simulations, perhaps the couple is so worn already that they can't actually raise this strange being successfully. Because yeah. I wonder if it's even possible to have raised that quote unquote child in like a nice loving environment. Yeah. Or if things are going well, if the child is just going to become more annoying mm-hmm. and harder to deal with. Because, yeah, I think that he's an interesting character, and I wish we could have seen maybe a different scenario where a couple's like, all right, we're going to raise this child to be released, and we're going to try oh, yeah. to do our best. Where they're more, like, gung-ho about it. Yeah. I think I think that's maybe why they don't show you, is because it's kind of like the, the ends don't justify, like, the means. Like, the kid's going to turn out, you know, a certain way no matter what, even though we do get some glimpses of, like, him... Like having some things his parents have imprinted on him, like when he when he seals up his mom to kill her, he's just like, whatever, which is some which is like a phrase he learned from her, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's hard. I, I the I think that the the stuff with the boy I think works a lot, but it's just hard to put a lot of allegorical weight on it because like he's so alien you're just like well i don't fucking feel for this thing <laughs> like when they call it it i'm just like that's on the money that's not a person i don't know what the fuck that is it's a monster um and i feel like there there's some thematic abrasion that happens with trying to be like there's this kid and what we're trying to say about children overall thematically but also like this is also a horror movie and this kid is like the horror component of the film for much for much of it you know I, I feel like they don't always like jive but maybe that 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 type of abrasion also leads to some some real visceral moments that actually really work in the movie oh yeah for sure it's uh pretty sad to hear it being called it um so early on in the film but we don't really get to see a lot of that first three months that they're raising this I'm assuming strange the child thing is, is a nightmare because it's a it nightmare would have to be right yeah like i don't that was one of the things where I was I was like I had no sympathy for the for the being and even the moments where they they are trying to garner more sympathy as as Gemma uh gets more sympathy for the boy. Um but even then she kinda has a lot of like they go into that aspect of like parental regret, which I think a lot of parents go through 
when their kids are of age, um, which are just like, did I do this right? Did I do this right? But the conversation is just like, I should have let you fucking kill the thing <laughs> earlier, <laughs> you know? And it's, it's kind of reflective of like those types of conversations. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that Gemma starts to feel sympathy towards the creature just because at the time Tom is pulling away from her right. and she just so she wants to connect to, to something. Yeah. I mean, she was there until, you know, he, uh, he showed his fucking neck flaps. I know that was. Yeah, I was just like, holy shit. Yeah, very cool scene. Yeah, I also want that. Like, I want that as like a screensaver. Their weird fucking TV channel thing. As much as it is also like, you know, Channel Two, the Nightmare Channel. Uh, I also was like, I was, I was like, this looks fucking cool. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it seemed like he understood what was going on kind of i don't know why he gave her the book when he goes away and he comes back and he brings her the book i don't know if he was trying to like clue her in maybe to be like this is how to better parent me but you have to learn this weird language maybe i think that is that is a little confusing because like he seems to be the smartest character in the room like he almost is like omnipotent and knowing what's you know going on Mm -hmm. um so yeah i don't necessarily buy that either yeah, I don't know. That is a weird, like, red herring. Really like red herring, but just kind of, like... It's a question. Misstep. It's a question, yeah, but yeah. Like, it doesn't get answered super well. No, um, because it seems to me that... I don't know if watching that TV station is, like, his connection to the Overlord, or if mm-hmm. that's the way he learns, and so it's, like, educational for him. It's how he gets right. stronger and smarter. Maybe that's what makes him grow at the speed that he does. It's hard to say. I bought I, I bought the growth as kind of the like that's just like what they're they're meant is. to do. Yeah, that's like uh that could also be like outside conditioning of like in uh like in Star Wars the clones they just age quick. Yeah. And it's cuz they have just a shorter lifespan. But I feel like that like same logic applies here where they're just like oh they're not meant to live for that long. They need to procreate in this weird like you know, they're bird realty monsters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe that's the greater commentary is that real estate people are just like creatures of evil. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Pushing people out of their homes to get new people into those homes. Kind of. I mean, there's there's some definitely predatory. You know, I've, I've been on many a real estate like venture of looking at apartments or looking at places or being with friends in apartments or hearing stories about people looking at apartments and. And when they're looking at the apartment with like Martin number one, uh, OG Martin, uh, I I had some some Vietnam flashbacks of just like yeah they really make you do this shit <laughs> you know they really like push you to do the thing yeah um, but in this sense it's like you know it's it's the absurd level and that's like you know again it's it's all that's why I see it as like almost like an absurdist film because it's, it's all of this stuff it's just like it's so heightened outside of reality mm-hmm. and. And so much more concerned with its, like, subtext than it is, like, with what's, like, literally happening that I kind of give it that that motif. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why I really liked it, because I really do like absurd stuff. Like, The Lobster is one of my favorite movies, and and I know you and I both really like Killing of a Sacred Deer, and, and those movies are, are certainly, those are capital A absurdist films. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I... I tend to lean towards films that have a a weird rule going on. Like the world is yeah. different. Here is why. So yeah, I agree with you there. Um, 
it's kind of and you know i think there's another film that this movie invokes and it's in its strongest aspect which we brought up in the uh spoiler free section which is the almost like eternal sunshine of the spotless minds uh bit at the end where she's you know sinking through the memories of suburbia and like chasing when he lifts up the sidewalk and goes under there i was just Ooh. like give me another hour of this yes right now give it to me yeah so when she immediately gets under the sidewalk and it's like that weird spider scuttle yeah away very it's cool. very like it's very kaufman-esque and i and i fucking kaufman-esque as uh not andy kaufman but Charlie Kaufman. Yes. There's a lot of Kaufmans who are so famous. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, and you know, that's another kind of, you know, the uh, Charlie Kaufman's movies are very absurdist in, in different ways. They're more like absurdity uh, visual, you know, they're very strong in that aspect. Um, and that's when the movie goes in that direction. I was just like, man, I just, I think that's when we, we both felt we were just like, I just wish this happened half an hour earlier. Yeah. That yeah. That should have been like a whole chunk of the fucking movie it's so well done and it's so cool um and i don't think it does itself any favors by being shorter Mm -mm. you know i think it's i think it's something that's so cool where you're just like i just can't just give me more because i do think there's something to be said when some movies like do their coolest thing but they only give you like a little bit of it and it's just like yeah that was worth it but i'm like nah i want more (laughs) yeah i i don't know if i need more per se but that was Mm -hmm. like the one moment in the film where I was like, oh, you have my attention now. You got it. This is how you earn my attention during this movie. Mm -hmm. But I think, too, um, part of the thing that took me away from fully enjoying the film was I realized fairly early on that the kid was going to be the new Martin. I'm like, oh, this guy is just this guy is just Martin. They're raising the next Martin. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's I think that's like fairly obvious by right. his attire and haircut like you know i was more surprised that he looked like a different person than the guy we saw earlier when he like is grown yeah i was like oh he's different ish because i thought he was going to turn exactly into like they're going to double cast like the actor you know what i mean yeah yeah um because when we were in that other reality under the sidewalk mm-hmm. was the kid that she saw a different kid uh, I think it. I think it looks like the same kid, but I. I think the implication is that's Martin or Martin One. Oh, you think so? I, that's how I read it. I, I think. I think that's. I think you could read it as a, like it's a different Martin. It, that could be America Martin, or that could be like German Martin for all we fucking know. Yeah, like, it's true. But but I read it as that was Martin One. OG Martin. Um, OG Martin. Yeah. Because I was seeing it as um, she was seeing three different simulations, but. Do you yeah, think maybe. she was seeing all the same simulation? I, don't I thought know. she was seeing all the same because the father was the same in all the scenes. He was okay. I think so. I'm pretty sure, and that's what made me think it was. That that's what led me to that conclusion, at least. Gotcha. So she only went like one generation removed. She went one deep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knows how how deep it goes? Mm-hmm. Um, and I could be wrong. Maybe they did have different actors for all the all those roles. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'll have to go back and revisit that yeah. scene. Mm-hmm. yeah it's cool the movie is cool i like the movie mm-hmm. uh i recommend watching the movie i should have said that earlier <laughs> but i think it's i think it's worth watching i think it's cool i think if you're in isolation it's the perfect movie to give you anxiety 
If you're into that. If, if that's your bread and butter. If that's your, if that's your cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's a film about the... How, how hard isolation can be. The disposability of parents. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah. I mean, parenting is very important. And hopefully a lot of children during this quarantine era of our lifetime... Hopefully they're not just getting stuck in front of a TV or, you know, placed yeah. in front of a tablet. Hopefully there's a, a lot of real parenting going on. I'd imagine so. I mean, I think like, you know, there's like the really negative way of looking at like, or maybe the, the only way to look at like a story like The Giving Tree, you know, a story about like parenting where you just, you give all you have until there's just nothing left. And then that's just kind of the way it is. And I feel like that's like another element of this movie of just kind of like, you know, the kid, the kids like a as like a leech at times to them. You know, mm-hmm. it just kind of saps them of all their energy to the point where it's like, all right, well now we're gonna have your funeral, which is in the pit you buried. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. Um. Also, a very cool scene, but you kind of feel it coming when he finds yeah. that body in the pit. It's definitely. I mean, it's setting it up for sure. Mm-hmm. I think that. You know, I think it's always hard when watching movies like this where the characters are like not bad people. They seem like good people and they just want something uh, to see them just get the shortest end of the stick ever. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's always hard to watch flicks like that. But that's also that's, you know, that's a many of horror, horror movie bad endings for good people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, very smart and nicely done that Gemma is a school teacher and you first yeah. see her. With a bunch of children who she very clearly has strong affections for. Yeah, and she uses some of those skills, you know, to to get information from the boy, things like that, which I thought was interesting. I thought it was interesting when she started using like those tools she she must use in the classroom. I was like, ah, this is cool. But I think that's how the boy realizes that she like is is manipulating him because when he's older in like the next scene, he's kind of like very hesitant to trust her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I like that aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they ever were going to get released, released. I think release is just being killed or <laughs> dying. Yeah. It's pretty thankless. Yeah. Uh, any more spoilery impressions you want to give, Bernadette, about Vivarium? Hmm. I think we sussed a lot of it out. Yeah. How do you feel now about uh, dissecting it a little bit further? Um, I think I enjoy it more than mm-hmm. at first onset of getting off the film and just thinking like, oh man, like it's not even a long movie, yeah. but it's like, I don't know no, if it's... it did what it needed to do for me, but mm-hmm. I do think I like it. I don't think it'll be like something I revisit. No, but... I think it's like a very, you know, not to, I'm not, I'm not one to throw numbers on things, but I feel like it's, it's a very like seven out of 10 movie. It's a very like solid Mm-hmm. Flick, you know, um, there's not enough there for me to not like, and there's just enough there for me to really see what it's doing, and I think that's that's good. Yeah, I have the tendency, and maybe I shouldn't, but I don't think it's really hurt me in the past. But I really thought that this might be like a top ten movie for me going into it because I was like, "Ooh, this is like up my alley." Yeah, and I mean, it's not, but that's okay. Gotta be careful to set your expectations, you know. Yeah, it was like when we watched Baccarat, I was like, I don't really know anything about this movie, and then ended up loving that movie. 
by so, but it was cool. Yeah, you just yeah. never know. Yeah, I, I went into this movie I went into the movie like a week ago I had high expectations. Then I heard that it wasn't so great. So then I went into it with those expectations and then it exceeded my expectations. So at the end it worked out. Yeah, do you think this would have worked better as a limited series? Yes. Like a six-episode yes. run? I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up, because I was thinking about that as I was watching. Especially in the earlier parts, I was just like, man, there's like a lot of cool... Because I think, you know, it's it's a story that has a lot of, like, potential, like, lore in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems that the, that the story has history outside of it just being, like... A, a weird take on suburbia yeah i would i would love a even even if it was more of like a cable show like you know something in the in the vein of like bates motel or something like that which i bring up mostly because i've been watching that but uh you know something i i think it would work super good as that and you got to deal with creepy boy for for a few seasons you know yeah because i was thinking um i recently watched the show i guess like a year ago um it's on amazon it's called forever mm-hmm. And it's okay. Maya Rudolph and Fred Armisen. They're a married couple, and they both die, and they go on uh, to the afterlife. And the afterlife is really weird. They're like mm-hmm. learning all these rules, and I was thinking that that's the perfect type of setting and length for a story of that magnitude, for yeah. people figuring out what the rules are in this new space. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think this movie would have lended itself well to yeah more I mean, exploration even like a. Uh, did you watch Russian Doll? I feel like I no, I got like halfway you got through like it. Halfway through, yeah. I need so to Russian finish Doll, that. Well, it's interesting because Russian Doll is like a very good example of of like a sh- of what you just brought up of like a show that I think spends like its first half like establishing and uh, like flexing the rules, and then like to to solve the movies ov- or the show's overall dilemma, they have to start breaking the rules or or bending them. Uh, I would love to see. I would have loved to see more rule bending, breaking, and exploration in in this movie. Um, yeah, I think it would. I think it would be a great TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I was. I, that's funny that you mentioned that because I, I definitely was thinking the same the same thing earlier as I was watching it. Yeah, in a but, uh, different timeline. I mean, who knows? You know, they're making a Snowpiercer TV show, and we already got a a good the movie's great yeah, the movie's <laughs> it's, great it's, yeah it, like we don't really they're also they're making the parasite tv show where it's like i don't really think we need to do that but you know no, the content's what, already there like yeah, what are you good. gonna do <laughs> it's good like there's not like a redemption arc that needs to happen here no there's really i think you can only go downhill from those two films <laughs> like, i i agree but uh, david dig is gonna be in the snowpiercer one i like him so yeah so we'll see. I'll still watch it. That's how I'm just really bad about that. It's like I never want to boycott something because I'm like, oh, I'm still interested. Well, I, I I can't say I would boycott it either. I I just don't know how my how interested I am. Yeah. Yeah. I only really boycott things if I have strong feelings about it. Otherwise, it's like painful disinterest. Mm-hmm. More than anything. Yep. Cool. Well, uh, Bernadette, thank you for joining me. And thank you, listeners, for joining us to talk about Vivarium. Uh, if you made it this far and you watched the flick, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. We're not the only uh, podcast on StoryScreen. StoryScreenVegan.com is a host of many podcasts, articles, and reviews. So please go on that website and check it out. We also have a digital theater where we're doing uh, movies and the proceeds go to the studios and to us. So if you want to support us on there during this quarantine, uh, we would really appreciate that. As I mentioned earlier, we also have a su- subscription service. 
on storagefrombeacon.com. It's under the content feed. It's $5 a month. That helps us make some really cool stuff. Uh, Bernadette's writing some cool articles. I've been doing a lot more video content. Woo. And we're trying to do some some cool shit there. So so please follow us there. You can also buy some merch. we got mugs, tote bags, and soon shirts and other things. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to support us. But if you don't have any bucks to throw at us, you can definitely talk to us on social media, at uh, on Instagram at story underscore screen underscore beacon uh-huh. or on twitter at story underscore screen or even on facebook so you know even if you just want to listen to this which is free and then hit us up and talk to us about it that's a great way to support us as well absolutely cool well my throat is getting dry uh burn it was good talking to you good talking to you too peace out bye, bye.